You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. Houghton, the producer of The Twilight Zone, once said in an interview with a Wisconsin newspaper, the Appleton Post-Crescent, What we do is limit ourselves to one fantasy per show, one fantasy to a customer. Second, we utilize fantasy only when it helps to tell a story, only when it makes the drama stronger, only when it's pertinent to the action. With this in mind, it'll be interesting to see how closely they stick to this from now on. But from memory, I think it's quite a fair assessment of The Twilight Zone. Some would say that The Twilight Zone is ordinary people in extraordinary situations. I can't really argue with that, but it's the way they become extraordinary that makes it special for me. It often seems that this element of fantasy is dropped into an ordinary situation like a pebble into a pond and then the ripples just radiate out and the path of the protagonist is forever altered by this effect. Martin Grams Jr. in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic thinks that tonight's episode is a perfect example of this. Like many Twilight Zones, this episode had a longer opener narration than the one that was actually used and it goes like this. This is Mr. Jackie Rhodes, age 34. If there was a who's who for nickel and dime crooks, his chronology would state, most simply, that he was born in New York City, went to a boys' reformatory at age 11, a state penal institute at age 19. He has been picked up on every count from petty larceny to extortion to assault with a deadly weapon and where some men leave a mark of their lives as a record of their fragmentary existence on earth, this man leaves a blot, a dirty, discoloured blemish to document a cheap and undistinguished sojourn among his betters. What you're about to watch in this room is a strange mortal combat between a man and himself, for in just a moment Mr. Jackie Rhodes, whose life has been given over to fighting adversaries, will find his most formidable opponent in a cheap hotel room that is in reality the outskirts of the twilight zone yeah. oh hello george i've been expecting your call yeah i've been sitting here waiting for you it's kind of hot night out ain't it yo well that's what i want to talk to you about joe i was wondering what you had in mind tonight George, look, I'm, I'm not complaining, George. You know I'm not complaining, George. I'm going to do the job, whatever it is. You know that. You got a number one boy here, George. I'm going to do the job, but... George? Mr. Jackie Rhodes, age 34, and where some men leave a mark of their lives as a record of their fragmentary existence on Earth, 
This man leaves a blot, a dirty, discolored blemish to document a cheap and undistinguished sojourn amongst his betters. What you're about to watch in this room is a strange mortal combat between a man and himself. For in just a moment, Mr. Jackie Rhodes, whose life has been given over to fighting adversaries, will find his most formidable opponent in a cheap hotel room that is in reality the outskirts of the Twilight Zone. First broadcast on the 14th of October, 1960. Written by Rod Serling and directed by our old friend Douglas Hayes. So here we have our Rod Sailing on camera intro, a first one for me, and as we go through season two and beyond, I'll be taking note of these. I feel like at times it was a bit of a throwaway thing. We would have our opening scene, and then a fast pan of the camera to Rod Sailing, who would, I imagine, not actually be there where the scene was shot, other times he was very much there though. I think it was the episode Nick of Time that we'll come to in season two where Rod Sailing is sitting reading the newspaper and then he delivers his opening narration. Those are the ones that I like best where Rod Sailing is tangibly in the scene. But I like what they've tried here too. He's quite obviously stood in front of a rear projected image. But it's the effort I think I appreciate. The effort to do something a little quirky, a little fun. And it was originally just going to be a freeze frame where Jackie froze and Rod Sailing walked in. But the director Douglas Hayes tried something a little different. I also appreciate Rod Sailing's closing comment that the hotel is on the outskirts of the Twilight Zone. It might be a personal thing for me, but I often try and kind of comprehend what the Twilight Zone actually is you know, to give it some sort of form in my mind. And the truth is, I don't think there is any answer to what the Twilight Zone is. But sometimes Sailing does say things that hint at it being something. You know, he's landed in the Twilight Zone. He's about to enter the Twilight Zone. And in this case, the hotel is built on the outskirts of the Twilight Zone. He does say in his opening narration that the Twilight Zone is the fifth dimension so it doesn't exist on our plane of reality, but it does seem to bleed into it at times. And I kind of categorize it in different ways to myself. If we take an episode like Mirror Image, it's doppelgangers from who knows where coming into our reality. And I kind of put this in the category of the Twilight Zone bleeding into our reality. Sometimes there's an episode like Judgment Night where Lancer is stuck in some sort of hellish time loop and that's more like someone actually going into the twilight zone itself then there's this episode nervous man in a four dollar room where the hotel is on the outskirts of the twilight zone perhaps a permanent overlap in the dimensions maybe other people who stay in this hotel experience strange things now i realize i'm probably overthinking it and maybe there wasn't any intention in a line like that beyond it sounding good but it's just a bit of fun. So we meet George, the man that Jackie was on the phone to earlier on. And they do have the look of two petty criminals. George, who's higher up the food chain, maybe at the top of it. And Jackie, who's probably at the bottom. Hey, it's a gorgeous place you got here, Jackie. Well, four bucks a night, you can't go wrong, you know, four bucks a night. <laughs> 
No, you can't go wrong, but you could get roasted to death or poisoned by small creatures. <laughs> what about tonight, George? What's the job? Does it make any difference? Difference? Uh, no, no. No, it don't make no difference. I was just wondering. I just wonder what you had in mind, I was all. Well, what would you like to do, Jackie? What's your heart's desire? Are you kidding me, George? <laughs> You're pulling my leg, I know you. You're pulling my leg. Well, if it was up to me, I'd... I'd uh... Well, <laughs> if it was up to me, George, I'd like some decent odds for a change. I don't mind a little shakedown, a little bunco, but it's just that I'm getting all the hard stuff. You know, I almost got picked up the last two times. Remember the heist? That kind of stuff ain't for me, George. So if they pick me up one more time, George, it's three strikes and out. <laughs> I'm long gone and for good. <laughs> Why, it's so hot in here. Ain't it, George? Ain't it hot? Anybody ever tell you what you look like? You look like a man trying to catch a subway at five o'clock. You always look like somebody squeezing you through a door. What do you do to sleep at night, Jackie? Hide in the locked closet? Now, look, George, I'm not knocking you, and I'll see why you all the time gotta knock me. All I'm asking for you is... That Jackie is a petty crook is written all over him. But George wants him to move on to something bigger. He wants him to kill a man. Now, let's just pause for a moment to talk about the actor who played George. His name is William D. Gordon. And on the Twilight Zone podcast in the past, it has been repeated many times that... When we're talking about the actors' resumes, because of the time and the culture of jumping from show to show, they all kind of mixed in the same circles. They did things like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and those kind of things. But actually this time round, instead of William Gordon being the man who jumped from show to show as an actor, he was actually a writer. He wrote for Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Ironside. And even in the 80s, the motorcycle cop show, Chips. How is he in this episode? I think he's okay. It's really Joe Mantell's show, the actor who plays Jackie. But William Gordon's okay. You know, he has the smoothness of that guy who is higher up the food chain, so never really gets his hands dirty. But I guess I don't 100% buy him as a criminal or a crime boss. He's good enough, so that's fine. And we'll see William D. Gordon again in the episode, The Eye of the Beholder. You can understand. Kill him? You want me to kill him? You're the one, Jackie. George, I can get sent up for just carrying that thing. George, this one ain't for me. Listen, you're in hock to me for your collar button, so don't tell me what's for you and what isn't. But I've never done anything like this before, George. I'm strictly breaking and entering. I'm nickels and dimes. You put me in an alley, I do a mug job. But I gotta do it from behind. I got no guts, George. <laughs> you know that, George. I got no guts. <laughs> Why don't you get a couple other guys, huh? Get a couple of torpedoes. Because every torpedo I got in the line is going to get picked up the minute they find that old gleep. Because you're not going to get picked up because you're nickel and dime and everybody knows it. You never did a job like this because you never could do a job like this. And that's why you're going to do this one, Jackie. And that's how you're going to get away with it. The way that Mark Zickery describes Jackie and his situation in The Twilight Zone Companion is... Sailing was dealing with a type with whom he was seemingly very familiar. The anonymous, insecure, unimportant little man struggling desperately against enormous odds. We all have these struggles in life, these moments of doubt, where we have these internal battles with our own insecurities. 
but the way the Twilight Zone portrays it is a little different. And it's a moment of self-reflection where Jackie becomes aware that he's nothing but a scared little nobody of a man. And whether he kills the person who George wants him to or not, he's dead either way. And this seems to trigger what comes next. Hello, Jackie. Come back here, you... You're not running out on me this time. You talking to me? You talking to me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure you are. Now, me and the mirror, we're having to talk. I've had it, huh? All my marbles are gone. This is how it happens. This... Yeah, this is how it happens. But you ain't lost your marbles yet, and I mean to see that you keep them. Who are you? I'm you, Jackie. And you're me. How's that? You're me and I'm you. Oh, this is crazy. This is really crazy. This is crazy, crazy! So we have Jackie speaking to an alternate version of Jackie in the mirror. So let's talk about how this was done. Douglas Hayes gave an interview to Ben Herndon where he said, Instead of doing it with a split screen or over another actor's shoulder the easy way, I wanted to do it the hard way, with rear projection. First, we photographed every part of Joe Mantel's performance that was in the mirror. And then later, he played against himself in rear projection. So when we were photographing the mirror stuff, we also had another actor playing out in front, who was making Joe's moves. So that Joe in the mirror was actually looking in the direction where Joe, the actor, would be later, when I photographed it for the second time. We had another actor, Brian Hutton, who wanted to learn about directing, played the other end of all the scenes. He actually had both parts, but his role was completely cut out. We used him so that Joe could actually play the scene to another actor. Hutton was always off camera. When it became rear projection, Joe was speaking to himself because we cut out the Hutton part. His lines were erased from the soundtrack. It was a totally thankless task. Hutton eventually went on to become a director. He did Where Eagles Dare. So was all that hard work worth it? Does it work? I think it does. In this day and age when we're a bit tech savvy, like the opening scene with Rod Sailing projected over the room, I think we can see that it's a projection. The image has an almost sparkly quality to it in the mirror. But that's okay, you know, I go with it because it's a good performance and the effect is done well, so I do think it was worth that effort. The man who is selling us this performance, who played Jackie, is Joe Montel. Apart from the usual TV shows of the time, he has a very notable credit to his name in the classic Roman Polanski film Chinatown, and it's him who says the famous ending line, forget it Jake, it's Chinatown. And he also comes back for the sequel, The Two Jakes. He was born in 1915, and he died in 2010, so he lived a long life. Don't you ever look in a mirror? I was a runt, I was a skinny little runt. When you want to join a street gang, you got to go along with them. You back down, they give you business. They call you a chicken, yell it. You ain't got it. Yeah, you went along with them. And you made me go along, too. The first time we were 10 years old, remember that? The class picnic? 
The teacher had a locket and the catch broke, and she laid it down, and some of the big kids dared you to swipe it? Well, I didn't want to swipe it. I told you I was a runt. They dared me. And a year later, they dared you to break into that grocery store with them. And you went along. And you dragged me along, too. And we got caught. And you spent the next 11 months in reform school. And so did I. What did that prove, Jackie? This is our centerpiece. This is the real meat of the episode. Where Sailing shows us the building blocks of Jackie's life through the conversation of these two sides of himself. The bad decisions that get compounded by more bad decisions. The missed opportunities. So often scenes like this can seem so very cliché if they're done badly. These kind of scenes where a person explains their past so we get a glimpse of why they are how they are are usually done to a different character, which in a way this is. This time I think Sailing's got it dead on. Despite Mirror Jackie's objections, Scared Jackie is still ruled by fear and he's still going to kill the man that George asked him to. Hey, Glass, come on out here. Come on, do your job now. Hey, come on, I want to see how I look, Glass. Come on. It don't make any difference, Jackie, because you're not going anywhere. You go out that door, you're finished. We're both finished. That's the door to nowhere. Jackie, Jackie, let me out. I want to take over. I got to take over. I want a decent job, some friends. I got a job. I got friends. I got everything I want. You got nothing. You got nothing but a pain inside. You got no friends, no honor. You got nothing. You are nothing. It's time to be something. Jackie, let me out. Let me take over, Jackie. This is your last chance. I think we all knew what was going to happen next. Jackie spins the mirror, and when George comes back, we see Jackie with his face in his hands. Get up, little man. I'm going to take your skin off foot by foot. Nobody went to the old man's bar tonight, Jackie. Nobody at all. At last reports, he was in excellent health. Thanks to you. Thanks to you, you raunchy little welcher. Well, what do you got to say for yourself, Crumb? Huh? What do you got to say for yourself? What have I got to say for myself, George? Not much. Just two words. I resign. That's it, George. I resign. You what? I resign. You can have your gun back, plus the following. Did we ever doubt that when Jackie looked up, it would be the Jackie from the mirror? I don't think we did. It was inevitable. But does that make it any less satisfying? I don't think it does. Because it is a very satisfying conclusion. Good wins over bad. Jackie, who, even as the nervous little crook, was never entirely unlikable. He gets his redemption. And he's got a chance of having that job and that girl and all those things that Mira Jackie talked about. So as redemption tales go, I think it works well. So the fact that we saw it coming, I'm okay with that. Overall, this is what we call a bottle episode. All shows do them. Star Trek has a great history of them. And if you want to make an episode on the cheap, you know, just throw a couple of characters down an elevator shaft and let them talk for 40 minutes. That's usually the way it goes. And it can be a good way of getting to know a character in a show, especially 
if it's got a big ensemble cast because they have a chance to have those longer moments where they reveal their past. But that kind of character development isn't really a consideration in an anthology show. But cost can be, and Buck Houghton was rather pleased that with Joe Montel working for a reasonable rate, and there being only one location, the show came in at about $9,000 under budget. Now the other advantage of a show like this is that if your lead actor is really good, you know, there's nothing better than sitting back and watching a good actor do his thing and being given the space to do it. So for me, Joe Mantell really sells that performance and there is a great distinction between Jackie in the mirror and Jackie outside of the mirror. They are two very distinct performances and characterizations. He pulls off this episode beautifully and all credit to him for that. I guess we have seen similar takes on the internal struggles of a person played out using a person talking to another version of themselves. In the 80s Twilight Zone, there's a similar episode called Shatterday, starring Bruce Willis in a dual role as two versions of himself. And back in the day, Sailing even received unsolicited submissions from writers that caused them a bit of concern. In Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, Martin Grahams Jr. writes, In June of 1960, Blanche Gaines, Sailing's former agent, submitted a couple of teleplays to Sailing from promising clients, one of them being The Two-Sided Triangle by Tobias and Perkins. The script was embarrassingly close to a script Sailing was already working on, called There's Another Gentleman in the Room. It involved a man looking at himself in a mirror and the mirror image gradually taking him over. Beyond this, there seemed to be little similarity in the two scripts, but the likeness was sufficiently close enough for Sailing to contemplate throwing away his script to ensure he wouldn't be thought of as a literary pirate. And he goes on to say, On July 13, 1960, Bob Shuford of Raleigh, North Carolina, wrote to Rod Sailing, care of Bantam Books, Shuford had submitted an original short story titled Behind the Glass, which told the tale of Claude Randall, a small-time crook, who, after facing defeat in various forms, including holding alphabet money, is introduced to a reflection of himself who guides him into committing a number of profitable crimes. Now he goes on to describe uh, what that story entails, and it, it is quite different from Nervous Man in a $4 room. Now, Sailing had actually already written Nervous Man in a $4 room before he received that submission, but he was still quite nervous about it and he filed that story away just in case any lawsuit followed, which it never did. You know, we are all different people at different times in our lives. We all look back at times and think, I wish I could be like that again. Or sometimes we look back and think, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. And perhaps what Rod Sailing wanted us to know through this episode is that we do have the power to be who we want to be and let go of negativity and become better. It's not always easy, but it is possible and sometimes it is a choice. Now the closing narration to the episode was slightly longer than what was actually put on television and it goes like this. Exit Mr. John, knee Jackie Rhodes, age 34, about to carve himself a nicer and more acceptable piece of life. And while we do not offer this story as the norm or the rule, there is a school of thought that says that there are two people in each of us. So gentlemen, 
Mind who you're shaving tomorrow morning. If you nick yourself, and the mirror yells ouch, you've arrived in the Twilight Zone. Exit Mr. John Rhodes, formerly a reflection in a mirror, a fragment of someone else's conscience, a wishful thinker made out of glass, but now made out of flesh, and on his way to join the company of men. Mr. John Rhodes with one foot through the door and one foot out of the Twilight Zone. My friends, it's good to be back in the fifth dimension. I owe a debt of gratitude to Luke Owen for taking over the podcast. I don't think, even after I told him uh, what hard work it actually is, it's a very uh, production-heavy podcast that he quite realised how much work it was. Um, But he gave it a good shot. He produced some great episodes, and it was good for me to be a listener and, uh, you know, sit back and enjoy them, which I did. I think he was very brave to take it on. You know, it was an established podcast that, if I do say so myself, is very popular in terms of downloads and numbers and so on, which is not what it's about. It's about love of the show, and Luke definitely brought that to it. So I want to say thank you to him. I know he feels sad letting the podcast go, but when he took it on, he was at a different place in life where he wasn't working freelance and and this show does take a lot of hours to put together which was where I stumbled initially but he gave it a shot and I think he succeeded it's a shame that he can't carry on but it's given me a chance to step behind the microphone again so thank you Luke I appreciate what you did keeping the seat warm in the twilight zone and uh, hopefully we will speak to you again sometime down the line So what does this mean for the Twilight Zone podcast now? Am I going to just step in for a couple of episodes, then go away again? Well, in terms of my situation, it hasn't changed. You know, I still lead a busy life and this is still a production heavy podcast. So it does take time to put together and it is hard to find that time to put it together at times too. But what I will say is this, you know, I said when I left in the Stop at Willoughby episode that At the rate I was going, I would be 90 by the time I finish the podcast. Well, if that's what it takes, then that's what it's going to take. I think from now on, I'm going to be the host of the podcast. And if it takes that long, that's how long we'll do it for. But, you know, I'm looking at ways of cutting down that work. Maybe instead of checking out 15 Twilight Zone books for little morsels, I will only check out three or four. You know, maybe lean it down a little rather than cramming too much of it in and making it too much of a, of a job to do it and that's the way it was in the beginning those early episodes strangely enough I seemed to get them out quite quickly but it's only as time went on that I added more and more to it that it became more difficult so so maybe I'll try and cut it down a little bit and uh, just lean it up that little touch without sacrificing any of the quality or the information uh, that's delivered in each show so yeah going forward i know it won't be a weekly podcast how it used to be back in the beginning but if you've stuck with us this long then i hope you will stick with me from now on and i will get it out to you as much as i possibly can so that's all from me this time round. as always if you want to send any feedback to the show speak about the episodes coming up or episodes just gone you can email me at tom at the twilight zone network.com and i will see you next time for A thing about machines?